Today I'm going to invite you to open in your Bibles the book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And today we're going to continue in the series called The Teacher, where we've been looking at the famous teachings uh, that God gave His people known as the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that we've been doing each week is we've been reading these aloud to try to get them in our souls. And so I'm going to invite you this morning, let's all stand together in reverence to the reading of God's Word And we're going to read these aloud. And as always, if you are unable to stand, you feel free to reverence the Lord from your seats right there where you are. But Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, says, Then God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, as we look at your law, Father, every one of us in this room sees our sin. God, every one of us Lord, are reminded, God, of how much we need you. But, Lord, Lord, I thank you that today we can look at your law through Jesus, not as a judge, but as a God. Father, a God, Lord, that you can remind us of your great love for us, but also, God, of your design for us. Lord, I believe that you want to speak to us today. God, that's my greatest prayer, that you would speak to your people. Is that, God, we would leave here today, God, having heard a word from you. And so, Lord, I ask, would you please, oh, Lord, put your words in my mouth, God. Hide me, God, behind the cross. And I pray, would you speak to your people this morning? We ask it, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we've said in the last several weeks, as we have been looking at these Ten Commandments, these commandments have always served to teach us about God to teach us ultimately about his design and ultimately to teach us about our sinfulness. And so today we're going to take a few moments and we're going to get out of order just a little bit because it's Family Worship Sunday. And by the way, can we welcome all of our kiddos that are in service here with us this morning? Kids, we are so thankful 
that you are here. Pastor Zach is so excited that you are here today. And as you look on the stage and you see these people singing and leading worship and preaching, we want you to know is that one day God wants you to be those people. God wants you to, God may call some of you to preach or some of you to lead worship and be a part of the choir and worship team. And so we are so thankful that you are here today. But we're going to skip our, in our schedule a little bit today. And today we're going to cover two commandments. We're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 20 verse 15 that says you shall not steal and also Exodus chapter 20 verse 17 that says you shall not covet. Now it, it, we, we'll see in just a few moments the reason why we're connecting stealing and coveting is because they are often very connected. Not everyone who covets steals, but everyone who steals eventually covets in some way. And so this morning, uh, like we've done each week, we're going to try to answer a couple of different questions and give us some facts to help us understand these commands and then to see what does God have to say to us this morning. So our first question that we need to answer today is, what do these commandments mean? What does it mean when God tells us to not steal and to not covet? Let me give you a few facts here this morning. Fact number one that we need to see today is that God's command for us to not steal reminds us that stealing is a great sin in the eyes of God. You know, the word steal in the, we see here in verse 15 of Exodus 20 in the Hebrew, is pronounced ganab, uh, which basically means in a general sense to not take something from someone else that doesn't belong to you. And this is basically the basic definition of Stealing. Now, most of us have experienced having something stolen from us at one point in time in our lives. Uh, when I, it's happened in my life several different times. I remember uh, being in college and having uh, my apartment broken into and having several things uh, stolen. I remember on two different occasions, I've had my vehicle uh, broken into. And at one point, they stole a brand new 30 6 hunting rifle that I had never taken in the woods. Man. That one still hurts me a little bit, okay? And so I've had that a couple of different times. But uh, probably the one that is most memorable to me was a moment where somebody stole something, not from me personally, but from the church. Uh, one of the first churches that I served at uh, was at Farmstead Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama. Great church, great people. And we, on a regular basis, did uh, what we do here at Enon. We would help people when they have needs in the community. We had a man come in one day and he needed gas money. And so we had him fill out just a very small information form called a benevolence form. We would contact that team and they would approve it. And once they approved that this man would get gas, we had a gas station about a quarter of a mile up the road. We had an account there. We would call the gas station and tell them, yes, we've approved this man. This is his name. Uh, he's coming up and we've approved him for $20 in gas or whatever that may be and put it on our tab. So we helped that man that week. He was very thankful. We shared the gospel with him. He went and got his gas. Well, the next week, he showed up again. And he said, hey, I, I need gas again. And it just so happened that I was the one who was serving him like I was last, the, the week before that. And I said, okay, well, here, here's the form again. You know how to fill this out. Well, he kind of got frustrated. He said, well, I filled that form out last week. And I said, well, I, I know, but that was a different moment. And today's a different situation. We still need you to fill it out. He gets about halfway through the form. He slams his pen down and storms out the door. I was like, well... Well, that didn't work out the way that we I was a little uncalled for. Anyway, so he walks out the door. A few minutes later, we get a call from the gas station. This says, hey, did y'all approve this guy to come get some gas? And I said, no, we didn't. She said, hang on. She put me on hold. I was like, what in the world's going on? About a minute later, she comes back and she's breathing. <sighs> she's breathing real hard. And I said, well, what's, what's going on? She said, well, he came up here and said that y'all had approved it. And, and I didn't get a call, phone call from y'all. So I ran out there and I took his keys out of his car. I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> 
I said, so, so what's he doing now? She said, looks like he's walking towards the church. I was like, oh, Lord. So I called Jasper's Finest, and they're making their way there. But before they get there, the man is walking in the church parking lot. Well, I walk out, and I said, hey, man, what's going on? He looked at me. He said, brother, I just went up there on faith. I said, sounds like you went up there on theft. Anyway. We ended up not pressing charges, and, and he got to keep whatever gas he had pumped. But, uh, you know, that's a funny story. Uh, but the reality is, is that there are often terrible, some terrible stories when we think about theft and the damage to people. In 2008, many people remember Bernie Madoff pulling off one of the most incredible Ponzi schemes, which is basically just organized theft that had ever been committed in the history of the world, is that he was able to steal roughly $64 billion from investors. And people from all different walks of life, one of the saddest and most famous of his victims was the uh, author, Nobel Prize winner, and Holocaust survivor, Ellie Vassell, if you've ever read the book Night. He and his wife, uh, Marion, had invested their entire life savings with Madoff. When he was asked how, what they thought about Madoff, they responded, it was an evil crime, but we've seen worse. Now, most of us know that it's wrong to steal things that don't belong to you, but we also need to know why it is wrong to steal things in the eyes of God. Why does God care about the property rights of other people? So let me give you a few reasons today why stealing is wrong in the eyes of God. First, stealing is sin in the eyes of God because you're taking from your neighbor. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the Ten Commandments are broken up into two major sections. The first section, the first four commandments, talk about our relationship with God. And the next six commandments talk about our relationship with other people. And it makes sense that the command to not steal is in this portion. Because to steal is to deprive something from your neighbor that they want or need. You are sinning against that person. And the reality is, is that all theft, eventually, it hurts people. It's not just taking some inanimate objects. It hurts people. When you steal from a small business, you hurt a business owner's profits that make it harder for them to feed their families. When you steal from a corporation, it eventually causes the corporation to have to raise prices to cover their losses, which in turn hurts everyone, hurts our neighbors. All theft eventually is stealing from your neighbors. Secondly, stealing is sin in the eyes of God because you're taking from God. Now, when we think about stealing, most of us understand that you're taking from somebody. But a lot of times we don't think about how when you're taking from another person, you're actually taking from God. And the reason why that is is that we have to remember that everything that any one of us has or owns, it's really only on loan to us from God. It all comes from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 The Apostle Paul reminds the church that everything they have comes from God. It says, what do you have that you did not receive? We need to do this in our life. Take inventory of all that God has given us. James chapter 1, verse 7, James reminded God's people that everything good that they have in their life comes from God. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting or shadow. Church, if we pause to think about it, everything that we have, all of our stuff that we say is ours, it ultimately comes from God. It is a gift to us by God for us to steward 
So to take it from a person, you're not just taking it from an individual, you're actually taking it from God. You're not just offending the receiver of the gift, you're also offending the giver of the gift. And I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen in someone's life where somebody gives something to someone and that is stolen. And it doesn't just offend the person who had it, but also the person who had given it. Now, a funny story of that was when my brother turned 16 years old, my dad... Uh, and my granddad got together, and they gave him a 1984 GMC Jimmy, okay? Uh, they did a bunch of work to it. They painted it blue, and they put some chrome mag wheels on it and really tried to dress it up. It had about 289,000 miles on it. You know, but they did all they could you know, to make it really nice. And, and I remember the day before they were going to give it to my brother, my granddad went out and bought a mirrored front tag for this car. And it did, this is just had one word on the front tag. It just said, awesome, with a little exclamation point on it. Now, when they gave the gift to my brother, uh, he was excited about the GMC Jimmy, all except the little tag on the front. And he tried to play it off because he knew probably what was going to come when he drove it to school the next day. And he was right. He went to baseball practice that afternoon, and one of the coaches who was working the parking lot that morning said, Hey, Kyle, saw that new Jimmy, man. Hey, that Jimmy, it ain't cool. It ain't neat. It's awesome. (laughs) Well, a few days later, that tag mysteriously was stolen. And I remember my granddad asking my brother over and over again where it had gone. And and he continually said he had no idea where it had gone. Now, we'll talk about lying next week. But anyway, (laughs) I remember my granddad being so frustrated because he wanted my brother to have that tag. And it had been stolen. Friends, the reality is is that when we steal from others, we're stealing from God a blessing that was not intended for you. And it grieves the heart of God. And then finally, stealing is sin in the eyes of God because you're going outside of God's means of provision in the lives of his people. Ultimately, stealing is a means of someone providing for their needs and wants in, in a way that is outside of God's design. You know, the Bible makes it clear that everything we have comes from God and that often it's free. Some of the greatest things that God gives us in this life are free. Think about God gives us the sunshine on a beautiful day. It is free. God gives us the rain. It is free. And we can pray right now. We need some rain. Lord, send some rain. Kimberly and I's driveway is gravel. And when we come up the driveway, it looks like NASA has launched a ship with all the dust coming up behind us. But hey, these things are free. Even the grace of God given to us in Jesus is absolutely free. But there are some things that are blessings from God that are not free, that are intended to come to us and in a means by which he has bestowed and a means by which he has called for. And one of the main ways that God has called us to receive from God is through the efforts of our labor and our work. In Psalms 128 verse 2, the psalmist speaks about how God's blessings come to those who work hard to earn a living, saying, when you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Scripture talks about how God honors work. In Ephesians 4, verse 28, Paul speaks to those who have newly come to faith in Jesus. And this is what he says. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. 
Here in this passage, Paul is basically pointing new believers to the truth that God desires to meet the needs of their life, not through stealing, but through hard work and effort. Church, riches that are ill-gotten always cost you more than what they're worth. When you begin to factor in, deduct the price of the guilty conscience. When you begin to deduct the price of the lack of relationships you're able to keep because people won't keep relationships with untrustworthy people. When you begin to factor in the lack of God's blessings on your life, when you steal, you end up having less than what you had in the beginning. However, modest gain that is honestly received is always worth more to us when you add the value of the sound sleep that comes to honest, hard workers. A friend of mine used to say that when we were working hard, he would say, whew, sleep good tonight. That you, there's value to that. The friends that you gain along the way in hard work is blessings. And the blessing of the fact that you are honoring God in your life. These rewards make whatever is printed on your paycheck so worth so much more than the final line. Now, this is one of the reasons why God calls us to not steal, because it's outside of His plan for us to work. Now, let's look at the Tenth Commandment. Fact number two that we need to see today is that God's command to not covet reminds us that coveting is great sin in the eyes of God. Look with me again at verse 17. Moses says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now the word in Hebrew that he uses here in Exodus 20.17 for covet is hamad, which means to desire greatly. Basically to covet something is when you look at what other people have and you begin to desire that greatly. Now some may say, well, Pastor Zach, does that mean that to covet means that I can't have any desires in my life? Does that cause me to covet? And I would say absolutely not. Not every want or desire in your life means that you are guilty of coveting. You know, the Bible makes it clear that that God always takes care of His children's needs and often God even cares and takes cares of our wants. God gives us even our wants. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, God speaks, uh, Jesus speaks about how God is a father who gives good gifts. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask? God is basically saying here, it's not wrong to ask God for our desires. That's a good thing. That's okay. And often, God gives us not only our needs, but our wants. Think about it when I take my sons into a convenience store, into a grocery store. They're always going to ask me for a Coke or candy in some way. Now, my wife will tell you I'm easy, okay? I'm, I'm a 90% yes guy, okay? Like that's probably, it's a good ask for me. On occasion, I'm going to say no, The reality is, is that in none of of those situations is it wrong for them to ask. The same is true with God. You're not coveting to ask God for some wants and our needs. It's never wrong to ask. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. The difference in non-sinful desires and covetous desires are ultimately breaks down to contentment. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, Paul spoke about how God's people should be content. This is what he says. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. 
For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Contentment means that you are satisfied in where you are with what you have. The difference in coveting something and non-sinful desires is that when you covet something, you're basically saying, I cannot be happy unless I have this. And in fact, if you go on to Deuteronomy chapter 5, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses gives the Ten Commandments again. And again, the Tenth Commandment is, thou shalt not covet. But in this time, he uses a different Hebrew word. He still uses hamad, which means to desire greatly. But he also uses another word for covet in that verse. And it is avah in Hebrew. And it not, doesn't just mean to covet greatly it may, or to desire greatly. It means to lust for something. To crave for something. To covet is to long for something more than anything else in this world. You are seeking it for your satisfaction. This is entirely different than having Christian desires, having godly desires. If you know Jesus, it's okay to have desires. And it's okay to even ask God for those desires. But the difference in that and coveting is that when you're a believer and you ask God for some desires, regardless of if he answers that prayer or not, you know that you are still good either way. And why is that? Because your soul is satisfied in Jesus. Your contentment in life is not based on the circumstances and the things around you. Coveting, ultimately the core sin behind coveting is the fact that you are lusting after the things of this world. And in so doing, you're basically telling God, God, you are not enough. When you covet after things, that's what you're saying. You're saying, God, what I have, what you've provided for me, if I can't be happy where I am, then I'm saying, God, you're not enough. Which is sad because secular studies have shown again and again and again that anything in your life beyond your basics... Anything that comes to your life beyond food and clothing and shelter does not add to your overall happiness. Does not add to your overall happiness. You can be around some of the richest people in the world and find out that they're empty in their soul. And why is that? Because God has built us in such a way that the only thing that can truly fill and satisfy our soul is Him. This is why Jesus told the woman at the well who was trying to find uh, satisfaction in relationships. He told her that the water you drink, you become thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become within him a well springing up to eternal life. Church, it breaks my heart to see the empty souls of people in our communities who are coveting, who are lusting, who are craving for something to fill the emptiness of their souls. They lie in bed at night and just scheming and planning on how they can get that next substance, how they can get that next relationship, how that they can make sure that their kids are the most popular or the most athletic, how they can make sure that they get the most money. But the reality is is that none of these things will ever fill the emptiness of their soul. And this is why stealing and coveting, even though they're not directly linked, they are always linked in our hearts. Old Testament scholar John Durham pointed out the fact that the 10th commandment functions like a kind of summary commandment for the rest of the commandments. He said the violation of the 10th commandment 
is the first step that can lead to the violation of one or all of the rest of the commandments. Basically what he's saying is, is that if we're not satisfied in God and his goodness, then our covetous eyes and attitude will lead us towards the sin of idolatry, will lead us towards stealing, will lead us towards adultery, will lead us towards lying. If you are not filled with Jesus, your natural inclination will be to search out something and you'll never find it anywhere else. Right here in the early days of God's people and his plan, he gives them these list of commandments. And what he's saying in the 10th commandment, what he's trying to remind God's people as he sends them into the promised land, as he sends them into life, he's trying to remind them by by saying, do not covet what your neighbor has. It's not necessarily about your neighbor. What he's saying is, is that by you looking to the right and to the left, by you looking to the things that are around you, ultimately, you're never going to be satisfied. He's calling them to look up. He's calling them to look to God to satisfy your needs. You know, coveting is actually one of the reasons why I believe that Christians should never agree with gambling. I'm actually going to preach a message in November about gambling because this next year in January in the state of Alabama, there's apparently going to be a push for legalization of gambling at some level like we've never seen before. And I don't want you to be able to know the Christian response to that. But you know, one of the, one of the reasons why I believe that we should not be a part of that ultimately comes down to the sin of coveting. Kimberly and I have lived in two different states that had statewide lotteries and these things. And you would see these advertisements on TV all the time. And, and when you would hear about the Powerball or the Mega Millions or whatever, you, would, you, you couldn't help but sit there and think for a moment, man, what would I do with $375 million? You know, and you start going through your mind and thinking about these things. Oh, man, I'd have a 10,000-acre ranch with whitetail that you couldn't fit through a door on and all these things. But immediately what began to happen was you began to be less thankful for what you already have. The sin of coveting always leads us to that. I remember several years ago, I saw a movie, and I can't remember the name of the movie. I tried to find it this week. But there's a point in the movie where these people were trying to cross a great desert, and it was taking them days to cross it. And they had an, a, a man with them. It was one of the indigenous peoples that lived in that area. And he carried with him a straw. It kind of looked like a cane, a piece of bamboo. And every few miles, he would go out from them and he would stick that cane in the ground. And he would blow into that cane to see if there was an underground aquifer, if there was water underneath the ground. And he kept coming up empty. They would walk a few more miles and he would stick that cane into the ground and he would come up empty. And I thought about that as I was preparing this message, was thinking about our longing for coveting. Often, how many of our, in our society will do the same thing? We walk around and we try to find something that will quench our thirst here. And we don't find it in that place. We'll walk down the road of life a few more miles and then we'll try it somewhere else. And we won't find it there. And then we'll walk down a few more miles and we'll try it somewhere else. When the reality is, is that only Jesus can truly quench your soul. And so today, that's just a few facts about these two commands. Let's look to our second question this morning. So we need to answer what do these commandments teach us today? You know, we can't even begin to dive into all the lessons that God can teach us today from these commandments. But let me give you a few as we prepare to kind of wrap up this morning. First, when it comes to the commandment for us to not steal, the main lesson that we need to see is that everything belongs to God and we should respect where he says 
it belongs. Ultimately, the commandment to not steal should remind us to recognize that everything that's been given to individuals on this earth has been given by God, and we need to respect where it belongs. And so this is where we need to basically say, if if God has given it to other people, then that's where it needs to stay, and so he's not giving it to us. That's why when we see flash mobs in our society today where people are running into grocery stores, running into Walmarts, running into Apple, and they're stealing thousands of dollars of goods and running out, they're not just disrespecting those people, but they're disrespecting God's design and his authority in personal property rights. And the truth is, is that unless these people repent before God and find the grace and mercy of Jesus, they will stand before God for these things they have stolen. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10, Paul mentions about people who will not enter the kingdom of God. This is what he says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous. There it is, the thieves or the covetous. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, for many of us in this room, you're like, hey, Pastor Zach, I get that. So the command to not steal basically says to respect other people's property rights. Where God has them is where they belong, and so don't take from other people. But we also need to remember that if we believe that everything belongs to God and that we should respect where he says it belongs, then that means we should never keep for ourselves the things that God says belongs to other people. Many of us in this room, you may not struggle with stealing from other people, but you may be struggling with stealing from God by hanging on to the things that God has said that that you're supposed to give that belong to other people. You are stealing by withholding. Let me give you a few examples of that. First, Jesus made it clear that his people ought to respect the authorities over us, which includes paying taxes. So to knowingly not pay your taxes means you are stealing from God by stealing from the government, which is sin. Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, Jesus speaks about this, specifically about taxes to Rome. He says, render to Caesars what is Caesars and render to God's what is God's. Also, the scripture makes it clear that God's people should honor the agreements that they make. So to intentionally not pay your debts can be stealing which is sin in the eyes of God. Now let me make this clear. There are moments when you may be put into situations that are beyond your control that can make it hard for you to pay your debts. Moments like losing your jobs. Moments like when you face health problems and it makes it a struggle for you to pay your debts. I do not believe that in these moments this is sinful in the eyes of God as long as you own up to it and do the best that you can to try to resolve the situation because there's risk also on the lender's side and they understand that. So when it's outside of your control, I do not believe that that is sin. However, if you agree to pay for something, at that point it is God's will for you to honor your word. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 37, let your yeses be yes and your noes be noes. In the eyes of God, if you, didn't, if you, if you made a commitment to pay a debt, and you miss those payments because you didn't properly count the cost or because that you've overspent in areas that are outside of your needs, then you not paying your debt is stealing from people and therefore it is sin in the eyes of God. And then finally, Scripture repeatedly shows us 
that everything we have comes from God. And part of that acknowledgement is to, a part of that acknowledgement that everything we have comes from God is for us to give Him the tithe or the tenth of our income through our tithes and offerings. So to intentionally not give God your tithes and your offerings is sin in the eyes of God. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God rebuked his people for stealing from him by not giving him the tithes and offerings that he commanded. This is what he said. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Church, we see from the beginning of Scripture, even in Abel, bringing the firstlings of his frocks, bringing the first fruits to God. And then all over the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, we see the picture of the tithe, bringing God the tenth of your income uh, is a means by which we let God know that everything belongs to him. It's the way of inviting God into your finances by God by us saying God I'm bringing you the first fruits I'm bringing you the tenth what you're saying is is that God all 100 comes from you and by doing this basically you're inviting God into your finances now let me say this if you bring your tithes and offerings does that mean that God promises to make you a millionaire and that you'll never struggle that's absolutely untrue but what you are doing is, is you are inviting God into your finances and anytime we do things God's way, God's way, it works out best for us. Now, some of you may be saying this morning, well, Pastor Zach, you don't even have a clue where our finances are, where I am right now. Let me say this to you. First, God knows exactly where you are, and he will honor you if you just start taking first steps towards him. You don't live under a curse because of Jesus. You can start taking those steps towards him. And you can start doing that by start by cutting out wasteful spending. Basically cancel that gym membership that you only went to the first three weeks in January, okay? You can cancel one of your 17 streaming services that you have, you know, as far as all the different channels that you watch and all these things. And basically, you begin looking at your life in ways that you are not properly handing your money. By the way, Cancel your Amazon account, okay? It's the easiest place in the world to blow money in like 10 minutes, okay? And then you take what you freed up and you begin giving that to the Lord regularly. You give that to the church in an undesignated fashion. You say, Lord, I'm going to start off with 2%. And then maybe two months from now you get to 4%. And two months from now you get to 8%. And then you look up a year from now and you're giving 10%. You are honoring the Lord. Now, I always have to take a time out here and say this. Anytime you talk about giving, people begin to get cynical. You may be here this morning, maybe watching online. Because when you see in the newspaper, when you see on articles online about churches that's all about money, and that's all that they do all the time, then immediately you begin to think, well, that's just these people after my money. I want you to know something today, and this is true before the Lord. Here at Indian Baptist Church, we're not after your money. We're after your heart. And the reality is, is that God makes it so clear that material things and possessions can be such a distraction in this life that bringing our tithes and offerings is a way to bring Him into every aspect of our life. And the truth is, is that if you're not being faithful to God in your finances, then your heart is never going to be fully open to what God wants to do in and through you in your life. And then secondly, when it comes to the commandment for us to not covet, the main lesson we need to see this morning is that God desires us to be completely satisfied in what He has already provided. I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to begin to make their way back up. But 
when you think about the commandment to not covet, in light of all the other commandments, basically every other commandment, especially those in the last six when it speaks about how we deal with other people, is that the commandment to not covet is different in some ways than the rest. The rest of these sins, the rest of these commandments are visible if you break them. If you commit adultery, it's pretty visible. If you lie, it's pretty visible. If you steal from somebody, it's pretty visible. If you murder, it's pretty visible. But to covet is something internal. It's something in your heart before the Lord. And the reality is this morning, church, is when you begin to covet, you're saying to the Lord, God, I'm just not satisfied in you. God, I need more than what you have already provided. And when you get to that place, you're automatically distancing your intimacy from, with God because you're not walking in thankfulness for what God has already given you. Church family, God has uniquely blessed all of us. The poorest person in this room this morning, your lifestyle would be coveted by over half of the population of the world because we are so rich. But the reality is, is that even then, our riches and our satisfaction and our, the way God has blessed us to where we have no need to covet has nothing to do with what's in our bank account. has nothing to do with what kind of car we drive or what kind of home we live in, what kind of vacations we go on. Value and worth does not come back to any of those things. I've done a lot of funerals here lately, church. We've said goodbye to some sweet family members and friends of our church family lately. But I want you to know this, in both different situations, nobody stood up and said, hey, praise the Lord for this incredible woman because she had so much stuff. It was never it. It was always about the joy of Jesus that they had. The treasure that they had was not of this world. And because of that, when they left this world, they didn't leave behind treasure. They're going to treasure. So this morning, where's God calling us to today? If you're here this morning, I just want to close with these few thoughts. If you are a follower of Jesus, then God's commandment to not steal may mean that you need to get honest before God in the way that you deal with your taxes. This is sin against the Lord. You may have some business practices that are a little gray. That honestly, you don't feel right in your soul about. Some of you, it may be that, hey, you, you need to get right with your tithes and offerings before the Lord. Some of you could make that decision today. And if you can, you should. And if you say, Pastor Zach, we got to rearrange our life financially, that's fine. You take some step in that direction. You start saying, God, here I am. We're going to bring, I'm going to honor you in this. We want you to be in every aspect of our life. Or maybe it's coveting. Maybe you're looking around at what everybody has in this world. But you are missing the greatest treasure that you already have. Everything that you ever need, you have in Jesus. And maybe you just hadn't been with him in a while. What I found, by the way, is when my intimacy with God lacks, is that then I start looking for false satisfactions. I start looking for false things. I start becoming that person who walks around Sticking my straw in the ground and trying to find water somewhere else. And you know what? I always come up dry. Some of you in this room right now, 
you're a follower of Jesus, but you know that you're not walking in intimacy with Him. You're not pursuing Him. You're not meeting with Him. The only time that you even think about God is when you come in here on Sunday mornings and He's worth so much more than that. And some of you here today, you just don't really know Him. And that's really what it comes down to. You got church down, but you don't really know Him. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. Once he found it, over the joy of that treasure, he went and sold everything he had so that he could come back and buy that field and have that treasure. Jesus is better than anything you could ever hold on to. And today, he's available. Man, think about that this morning. He is available today. Jesus stands here this morning to the world and says, Here, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you need Jesus this morning. And all you got to do is call out to him. We try to end our services here at Enon with a time for you to be able to meet with God. And so today, our pastors are going to be up front. We'll have some ladies up here that are some prayer leaders that will be here. If, if you need to give your life to Jesus... Or if you need somebody to pray with you, you feel free to come down and grab one of these these next few moments. Hey, if you've been reading through the one-year Bible this past week, we got into the New Testament. And it's so incredible, encouraging how often Jesus saw people's physical needs. And he just met with people. He healed people. You know what my prayer was this last week? Oh, Lord, I just pray you'd heal some people. I just pray that you'd set some people free. And that may be you here this morning. You know what? Come down. We just want to pray with you. Pray and believe that with you. Maybe even as we sing, you just need to worship the Lord. Or maybe say, God, forgive me of looking all around me trying to find what I need to find in you, what I have already have in you. Look to Jesus. Let's take these few moments and respond to the Lord. I believe when we hear God's word, I believe God always calls us to some kind of response. What is he calling you to today? Would you stand? Our prayer leaders are going to come down front. As we sing, you worship the Lord if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to pray with somebody, if you need to join this church family, you feel free to come as we worship the Lord.